So, you know, my prayer today has been that somebody would, would be set free today. And I really feel like somebody in this house is going to get set free by the preaching. You, you are going to be so free that you're, you're going to be like, thank you, God, for the teaching about forgiveness. So if you would turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we have a big one on the screen. I really feel that down in my toenails. Somebody's going to get something out of this. And let me tell you, I'm an expert in this because I've been hurt so many times in ministry that uh, I've learned how to walk this out. I struggle with it still, but I walk it out. Are you hearing me? So I, I am preaching out of the abundance of my life today. Y'all are going to get so educated today. Can I educate you today? All right. Up on the screen it says, Dathan, Dathan, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan, which was a prophet, replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Not good news. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Church, look at me before we pray. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiving people, it's not an option. It, It is literally the Christian's sacred duty. Demanded by Jesus, reiterated through the entire New Testament. It is central to the Christian message because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But believe me, when it comes to actually forgiving someone or something, that is a whole nother story. It's tough to do. Now, some of you that float in your britches and walk on water, you have no problem doing that, okay? But for all of us normal folks, it's hard to do. And it's made harder... Because so many of us have never been shown what true biblical forgiveness actually looks like. How many of you right now would say there's something in your life or someone in your life that you are struggling to forgive? Let's be honest. It's to you that I come by to talk to. Father, in Jesus' name, set everybody that raised their hand free today. Let them be able to now see biblically how to forgive all the crazy things that go in it. And let them go away going, you know what? I never knew that. But now because I do, it's going to be easy to forgive. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. There's a whole bunch of reasons why a lot of us in this room struggle to forgive. Some of us believe or some of us have been taught that forgiveness is to pretend like nothing's ever happened. Just pretend like it never happened. Erase, erase, erase. That didn't happen. I didn't do that to you. Some people think that it's a a never-ending series of here's a second chance, here's a second chance, here's a second chance, here's a second chance. Even though you keep doing me wrong, here's a second chance, here's a second chance, here's a second chance. Some for, for some of us, we believe that it's like a fresh start. All consequences are removed. 
Still others believe that once I forgive, I therefore have to uh, immediately restore this person and restore this broken relationship, restore them to the full privileges that they had before with me, the full level of trust that I once had with them, the privileges that, that preceded the wrongdoing. I've got to restore all that. That's what forgiveness means. And all of it tied together, I believe if we said, if we could just sum up all of those things into one sentence, I believe a lot of us in this room that we believe that forgiveness literally means forgetting. Forgetting what happened, wipe the slate clean, all these second chances, restore the person back to the same privileges they had before, and the memory of the transgression should just disappear. And the question is, is why do we think this? I believe if truth be told, it's because we have been told that when God hears us confess our sins, that the Bible says He remembers them no more. And we get that all messed up. Which is true, that, it, or excuse me, if that is true, that when we confess our sins, He remembers them no more. If that were true... If I was to confess a sin, and then two seconds later confess the same sin, God would have no idea what I was even talking about. Why? Because he, he, he would have to forget what I just said. Therefore, forgiveness to us becomes this self-induced spiritual amnesia that God has done for me, And I have to do for everybody else. And everything that I said about our thoughts about forgiveness is wrong. Because the problem with the concept of a forgetful God. If God forgives and he forgets. Listen to me. Then we know things that he doesn't know. And that's not how God forgives. He doesn't forget When he forgives. At least not in the sense that we know what forget means. So let's take a look at the myth of the forgetful God. Okay, You and I would know things that he doesn't know. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, in the English dictionary, you will find the primary meaning of forget. It's the inability to recall recall something. Okay, I forgot where I left my keys. I forgot an important meeting. I had the inability to recall that. Which forgetting is the opposite of remembering. And perhaps that's why we think that. Because when the Bible says that God forgives, it also says not only does he remember our sins no more, but it also says, you know what? He cast them as far as the east is from the west. As if it never happened. The Bible even continues to go on that says God takes our iniquities and hurls them into the depth of the sea. So I could begin to read scripture and go, oh my goodness, if this is what forgiveness is, if I've just got to let go and I've got to remove every trace of the wrongdoing, restore everything back to normal, then this is going to be hard for me to do. But what we have to understand is when the Bible says God remembers them no more, that's not really what the verse means of forgetting them. Because what the Bible is talking about when it says God is remembering something, 
It's not like this long lost thought suddenly popped into his brain. It simply means that his work with the person or his work with the situation is then renewed. Well, give me an example, Pastor. Okay, for instance, in the Bible, it says that after Noah floated around, okay, for nearly five months in the ark, the Bible says God remembered him. It wasn't as if Gabriel was like, hey God, you left the water hose on, remember Noah. No, it wasn't that. Now for Noah, it probably felt like God forgot him. But what God was doing was renewing that work. Are you hearing me? He was renewing that work because he he said it was going to be for so many days. And then after those so many days, God renewed that work. So if forgiveness means God has literally no memory of the event, we've got a huge theological dilemma on our hands because the problem is, is you and I would know things that God isn't aware of. There would be stories in the Bible that we could remember, but he couldn't remember, and that is absolutely absurd. So what does the Bible mean when it speaks of God remembering our sins no more? It means that he no longer responds in the light of those sins. It means that he he no longer uh, uh, derails us from our relationship with him. The sins that we committed no longer garner his wrath. So next thing in your notes is your sins are gone from your account. That's what it means when it says he remembers them no more. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't know about them. Why? Because the next thing in your notes is an omniscient God doesn't forget stuff. He he can still remember all the things that we've done. He just doesn't hold it against you anymore. That's what the Bible means. So the question is next in your notes is why is this a big deal? Well, in your notes, this is important to understand because whenever the call to forgive morphs into I have to forget everything, baby, I'm opting out of that. And that's why some of you opt out of forgiving people. Because most of us usually opt out because when forgiving means I have to forget, restore everything, act like nothing's happened, endless number of second chances, you know what, Uh uh-uh, that's not for me, I'm just not going to do it. Now, when we're faced with all these small hurts and all the small annoyances of life, forgiving is easier. But baby, when those big things hit from those people and they really hurt you to the core after you've trusted them, ate with them, hung out with them, family members, that, that's tough to do. We hang on to things. And anybody in this room like me who has been deeply hurt know that painful memories stick. They stick to us. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care who you are as a Christian. You know what? You can't brush things off. Pray as you might. They aren't erased. I've prayed and prayed and prayed for hurts to go away. And they're not erased. Now sure, I've prayed and the pain has lessened. I've prayed and yes, the memories of the moment have faded. I've prayed in the nightmares and running it through my mind over and over and over again. Yes, that begins to disappear. But gone for good? No! Not a chance. I've been hurt. See, it's easy to forget the little things. 
Those social slights, that unkind word, that joke, that person that jumps into your parking lot when you're out Christmas shopping. But when it comes to the true hurts and the true pain of life, most of us are aware that if I have to go through a self-induced spiritual amnesia, act like nothing's ever happened, give them an endless amount of second chances, restore everything that they had with me before, then you know what, baby? That's not possible. Now... Having decided, first and foremost, that forgiveness is not about forgetting, okay? Once we've established that, having decided that it's not possible to ever forget, many of us mistakenly then decide that, you know what, it's just not possible to forgive. If I have to forget, I'm not going to forgive, at least when it comes to the big stuff. So what I want to do is I want to take an imaginary person. Okay, this is not a true story. This is something I've conjured up in my imagination. We're going to call him Bob. Everybody say Bob. We're going to talk about Bob's dilemma. We're going to take Bob's dilemma and see how it will apply to our lives where we've been hurt and walk out of here with freedom. Is that fair enough? All right, here's Bob. Bob was confronted with, with an injustice. An injustice that was way too big to ever forget. Now, he was aware about the Bible. He was a Christian. He knew God's call to forgiveness. He knew it was uh, uh, so important that he couldn't neglect it, but the hurt was so huge that he couldn't run from it. So Bob was caught in this emotional dilemma that the, that the hurt and the pain was there, and now he's caught with a spiritual dilemma that I've got to forgive this person. Because what you must understand is Bob had a son that was killed by an angry stepfather. And when the court case come, we knew that he had a pattern and a history of abuse because he abused two ex-wives. Matter of fact, his own children came to the defense of Bob's son and said, we were beaten as children, so we are even scared of this man. So after this man was accused and sent to prison, after the sentencing, Bob was troubled. He knew that he had to move on. He knew that he had to forgive, but he was wrestling with the fact is I cannot forget this. Why would I forget this? Because from his perspective, letting it go and forgetting would completely dishonor the memory of his son. And if he let it go, it would then open up the door for the killer to walk out of jail and begin to kill other people. So Bob wrestled. And Bob decided, well, I'm going to show up to every parole hearing and I'm going to make sure that he's not going to get out of jail. Because he wanted his son's murderer to stay locked up for life. And on one hand, I'm honoring my son. I'm protecting other people. But on the other hand, he wrestled with going to that parole hearing and, 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 and coming after that man every time going, really, have I forgiven this guy? Am I damning my soul because I, I am here? Which probably proves that I have an inability and an unwillingness to forget and move on. But see, Bob was a believer. And Bob started studying the scriptures. He began to find out what true forgiveness biblically is all about and all the uh, uh, nuances that go with it. So he began to realize what God expected. 
And what God expected of what he actually thought was expected. He realized his theology was not rooted in scripture. And he also realized the kind of forgiveness did not mean pretending that he had spiritual amnesia. So let's kind of break this down and relate it to our own lives. Let's look at in your notes how God forgives. You have to understand when it comes to forgiveness, there are two arenas that God operates in. If you can get this in your mind, you'll understand the whole entire sermon. Okay? There are two realms. There's the spiritual and eternal arena. Then there is the earthly and temporal arena. And when God forgives, it shows up differently in each arena. Let me explain it. In the spiritual, in your notes, in the spiritual and eternal arena, forgiveness wipes the slate clean. Okay? When, he, when I ask for forgiveness, spiritually and eternally, slates wiped clean, that sin is not held against my account, I'm going to heaven. That's the spiritual and eternal realm. Now, while God doesn't forget what I have done... He does treat it as it's never happened spiritually and eternally. That's how I can make it to heaven. Spiritual and eternal consequences are completely removed. So judicially, my record is clear. But in the earthly realm and in the temporal realm, next thing in your notes is God's forgiveness seldom if ever removes all the consequences. Or restores what's broken. Instead what he does is he offers a second chance. Now this, if you can understand this one sentence here. It will help free you to forgive people. God's forgiveness seldom if ever removes all consequences. Or restores all that have been broken. It does offer a second chance. And we're going to talk about that. So let me explain. Let's break down next thing in your notes is consequences. So we have David in our scripture, and he had this infamous rendezvous with Bathsheba, okay? And he eventually, it's weighing on his heart so much, he confesses. For those of you that don't know, he had Bathsheba's husband go into the front lines of war, knowing that he was going to kill the husband to where he could have Bathsheba. Pretty downright rotten for a Christian to do. Wouldn't you say so today? Yeah. All right. So he acknowledges this sin. He renounces it. He cries out, he asks for forgiveness. To his great relief, God assures him in the spiritual arena and in the eternal arena, his life will be spared, you're going to make it to heaven, David. However, God's forgiveness didn't wipe the slate clean in the earthly realm. God did not remove the consequences in the earthly realm. As a matter of fact, God piled on a few extra. David was informed uh, uh, by God that the sword would never depart from his home or basically he would be at war. He would always be at war. He was told that one day his own son would dishonor him publicly just like he dishonored a man privately. He also was told the temple that you've had your heart set on building and you've, you've been excited about and passionate for will guess what? You're not going to get to build it. Somebody else will build it. And oh yeah, the son that you conceived on the night of your passing with Bathsheba, he's going to die. Pretty tough. Now Bob knew 
the story of David. And after he read the story of David, he began to connect the dots between the kind of forgiveness that God offered David and the kind of forgiveness that should operate in our lives and with Bob's son's killer. See, what he was relieved to realize that God was not forcing him to pretend that nothing happened. God was not forcing him to set aside all the earthly consequences or all the legal consequences of the crime that happened to his son. So it was perfectly appropriate for Bob to go to those parole hearings, pursue justice, and do all that he could do to make sure that justice was served for his son. Because church forgiveness does not mean removing all the consequences. When somebody hurts me and breaks my trust, I don't have to give them trust back, nor do I have to be friends with them again. That should set some of you free. Why? How can you say that, Pastor? Well, spiritually, I forgive you because of the sin that you committed to me, but earthly, the consequence is there. You've broken something that we once had, and it cannot be immediately restored just because you want it to. Are you hearing me this morning? Anybody getting anything out of this? All right. I'm sure I'm talking and teaching a whole lot better than y'all are acting. This is not about being a meanie face. This is about operating biblically. So not only do we have consequences, but we got second chances. Now this is where it gets a little bit more difficult. Okay? Because all of y'all are like, yeah, I don't have to trust them. I don't have to be their friend. But, just like God, we do have to make room for second chances. And I'll try to explain this to help you. Bob was challenged with the realization that along with some uh, uh, rather unpleasant earthly consequences, God still gave David a second chance. Which none of us are eager to do. Bob wasn't eager to do that with the killer. And I know y'all aren't eager to do that with somebody that's hurt you. To give someone, seriously, Pastor, give, whoo, Lord have mercy. I was with you up until you said second chance. See, God didn't doom David to a life of hopelessness. Praise God, amen. See, there was a plan A for David's life, and he messed that up. Plan A was lost forever. But there was still plan B. Now, follow with me. It was not a fresh start. Free from all consequences. Those consequences would remain in David's life. The difficult, the tragic consequences continued in David's life. However, David had an opportunity to become something else in the eyes of God other than the murderous adulterer that he was. David could have repented, oh, I'm so sorry, and still went out there and been a a, a dummy. And then there would have been plan C. And then he could have still been a dummy and there could have been plan D. But God doesn't leave us in a life of hopelessness. Okay? As David returned to the path of obedience, God restored him to the highest level of usefulness. 
In that second chance, God still allowed him to be king. He took some of his poetry and published it in our Bible and had the high honor of Jesus Christ even quoting some of his poetry. So God's dealings with David is a model for us when it comes to forgiveness, which is this. Earthly consequences remain. You broke something with me. You broke my trust. You broke that friendship. But what I'm going to do, listen to this, I'm going to watch your life. And if you prove that you have truly changed the opportunity for restoration and the opportunity for productivity between you and I is available because I will give you a second chance. But if you keep hurting me like you've hurt me before, that's a different story. I'm not dumb. Are you hearing me? If you keep doing me the way that you did me, don't think that, guess what? We can go back to plan A. I'm moving to plan C. And that may push us further apart. Maybe down the road, finally we're on the letter G and you start changing. Well, you know what? I see some change in your behavior. But if you ever think it's going to be like before, you've got to be crazy. Are you hearing me this morning? Well, you're just a mean old man. No, I'm not. I'm really trying to teach you how it really operates in life. Okay? So Bob, he, he realized, okay, my son's killer. If he ever turned to God and changed his life, and if he ever sought forgiveness with me and my family, and he began to change in society, then the least that I can do is owe him a second chance. Not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Not a removal of all the earthly consequences of your horrid actions, but the second chance would be be you have to become something different in my eyes other than the monster and the rage-filled murderer that you were on the night that you killed my son. And the same thing with us. So I guess the question is in your notes, how do we learn to forgive? Because what consequences are appropriate, Pastor? (laughs) How far do we go with second chances, Pastor? Does forgiving mean trusting someone when we know that they are untrustworthy? uh, Do I give uh, those that hurt me a right to come back into my life in a deep and meaningful way that they were once part of? And the big one, do I have to invite him over for dinner? <laughs> or to my son's birthday party? And we're talking about family members too, right? Because some of y'all have been hurt by family. I mean, these are tough questions. We need biblical answers. So to answer them, let, let, let's truly dive into the Bible and, and let's see how we respond, not with our own thoughts, but the thoughts that line up with the, what the Bible says about forgiveness. So here's what I tell people. Look, I've been hurt, I can't even tell you how many times, but by good people. People that I thought were good. People that that, that I was on staff with. People that were like big wigs in the community. And and I've been all over, so it's not just Northfield Church. And what I've learned is this. If I keep my spirit right, and I walk in obedience with God and I become the adult in this situation, God's going to bless me. 
And let me share with you some ways to keep a right spirit. This is what your pastor does to keep a right spirit. Number or in your notes, stop keeping score. Okay? Because the first thing we like to do is we like to break out the scorecard. But see, biblical forgiveness doesn't keep score. Jesus spoke of, of, of forgiveness, what was it, 70 times? He wasn't saying, break out your tally sheet. It, it was an exaggeration or a hyperbole that, that, that says, you know what, we got to keep on forgiving. Understand that when it comes to keeping track of all the life's hurts, all the conflicts in my life, all the injustice in my life, we have this creative math. And the creative math looks like this. We have an amazing ability to undercount our own misdeeds while multiplying the wrongdoing of other people. It it, it walks out something like this. Here's a little thing. Driving down the road, somebody cuts me off and nearly kills me. All right, so I do what is right. I honk the horn. (laughs) I stare at them. And because I'm a Christian, I give them this finger. Because that'll teach them, right? I find that anytime you just do this, that solves all the problems, right? No. Because what happens is the person sees your face, hears the blaring horn, sees the pointing finger, and what they're thinking is, oh, my, my bad, I'm sorry, no harm, no foul, I made a mistake. But you're still blaring that horn, all right? And what do they do? Oh, it's tit for tat now, baby. You blew the horn at me, all right? I'll just put on my brakes, drive right behind you and start tailgating you. All right? Get right up on your bumper and then at the red light, I'm going to roll down my window. I'm going to say a few choice words. And because they're not Christians, they were very creative with sign language, gave you the middle finger, and now it is on like Jerome and Rome because now i got to keep... They did that to me. Now I'll do that to him. And it becomes a tit for tat in both of y'all's eyes. So when it comes to forgiveness, what I found to keep my spirit right is it's not tit for tat. They may have done this to me, but the path of obedience says I'm not going to return them with anything. I'm going to be the man in this situation. They can act like the little immature adult that they're acting like, but you know what? I am not. So I won't keep score. And, and, and then another thing to keep your spirit right is the next thing in your notes, get a, get a good mirror. Okay, get a good mirror. Because perhaps it's our tendency to have this creative scorecard that prompted Jesus to tell everybody about the parable of a servant. Because let's just for grins and giggles, let's say this servant owed this king $10,000. So this servant comes and and begs for more time and just begs, I can't pay it right now, I can't pay it right now. So this good king says, you know what, I'll wipe the $10,000 clean, you don't have to pay me for it. So you would think that this servant would have came out of the king's quarters and said, I'm debt free, I've got a perfect credit score now, I don't owe anybody anything. But as he was walking along, he found somebody that owed him a dollar. He's like, you owe me a dollar, and you're going to pay it, and you're going to pay it now. Or I'll kill every last one of you. Well, the king heard of this, asked the servant to come back, and said, seriously, that's going to how you're going to act after I've uh, relieved you a $10,000 debt? Now you owe me. And listen to what Jesus said after that parable. 
He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now I'll leave it up to all the theologians in this room if Jesus was literally meaning that. I believe he was. And that's why biblical forgiveness starts with the look in the mirror and in your notes, it doesn't start with the wrong that was done to me. It starts with the wrongs that I've done to others. So I personally, to keep my spirit right, I go, you know, God, look at all that you have forgiven me of. Look at the crazy ways that I've acted in my life. And because you've forgiven me of that, and because other people in my life have forgiven me, especially in my sin life, y'all, I did some, oh, Lord, you think David did some stuff? Never killed nobody, though. But look, I did some bad things. And people forgiven me. I can even look back when in my sin life of sinners forgiven me and going, you know what? As a Christian, I should forgive other people. And, and another thing to keep my spirit right is I have to understand the next thing in your notes is I have the ability to rebuke when I'm wrong and I have the ability to forgive when I'm asked. Because there are some people out there that wrong you and they never ask for forgiveness. Right? And then there's some people that just keep at it. We got somebody in our church. Got a family member that just keeps being nasty. What is the Christian response? Do I ignore that pastor? Do I confront it? Do I teach them a lesson that they won't forget? Can I do that? Now, I've heard that some Christians say that, you know what, the thing to do is, is forgive before even being asked. <laughs> okay? Just forgive before the annoyance even comes. In other words, if the school bully takes my lunch, come back the next day with a subway. Right? That's what they're asking me to do. If the dog next door keeps barking, what I'm supposed to do is instead of calling my neighbor and say, hey, can you shut the dog up? I'm just, because I'm a Christian, and I'm supposed to be loving, I'm just spo supposed to put earplugs in my ear and turn up the fan and turn on the TV to where I won't cause any conflict. Or how about that ex that refuses to pay child support? I'm not supposed to take them to court because, after all, a Christian would just be lovey-dovey and just, just excuse it. No, you rebuke when people have wronged you and you forgive when asked. But pastor, didn't Jesus overlook all the injustices that were done to him? I recall him saying on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Okay, well, you, you can use that out of context if you wish, but here's the deal, is as Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for no, no, they know not what they do, it was because they did not know what they were doing. In the whole cosmic scheme of things, they had no idea what they were doing. And you better believe that family member has an idea of what they're doing to you. You better believe that person that hurt you, went behind your back, gossiped about you, broke that trust, did you wrong, slept with your husband. She knew exactly what she was doing when she did it. I didn't know. <laughs> we just kind of fell in bed together. Bull butter. <laughs> Are you hearing me? They didn't even know that they were crucifying the Messiah on the cross. See, when I look at Jesus... 
He was not quick to let the Pharisees off the hook. He didn't let them off the hook. In fact, rather than than wave off their transgressions, he threatened them with hellfire. (laughs) How would you like Jesus to be your pastor today? (laughs) Hell is hot, time's short, give your life to me. That's what he'd be like. Hey, there was another group of people, a bunch of uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, that said, you know what? You cast out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus judged them, and Jesus said, the sin that you've just committed against me, it's called blasphemy, and that'll never be forgiven. He wasn't quick to just give second chance and second chance. There was earthly consequences for their sins. So no question, as a Christ follower, yes, the pathway is we are to forgive. But that is not the same of overlooking everything that people say and people do to hurt you. Well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Yes, he did. But he also said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. In other words, there is a time and a place for confrontation. There is a time and a place for rebuke. There is a time and a place for pointing out displeasure of what is being done to you. God's call, listen to me, God's call to forgive doesn't mean as a Christian you go through life as a punching bag. Are you hearing me? You rebuke when wrong. And forgive when asked. It does mean we can speak up. Instead of rolling over and acting like we have to take it. So I'll close with this as the musicians come. And it's a very long close. So don't get up and leave. (laughs) Now I'm really going to blow you away. Can I blow you away? (laughs) The next thing is let God be God. What do you mean pastor? Ultimately forgiveness can be given. Only to those that want it. And listen to me real closely. Don't even look at them. you got to be looking at me. For those who don't ask for forgiveness. For the, and there's many people that think they're in the right for treating you the way that they treated you. i got a right to do that. <laughs> for those who would rather to hurt than to reconcile. Those that walk by you with their nose up in the air and looking at you down their long sanctified nose and acting like they're all that in a bag of chips. You deserve how I treated you. Because you're bad. I have every right to do what I did to you. For those people, there's a whole nother response to them. It's the response that many of you are not aware of. Are you ready? Lean in. It's called revenge. (laughs) But not in the way that you're thinking. Okay? Not in the way that you're thinking. The biblically appropriate time, and there's a biblically appropriate place for revenge. I personally don't return evil for evil. But for those dirty, rotten scoundrels that keep treating me the way that they're treating me, I got another option. I got daddy. 
got daddy. Sick them, daddy. I turn my revenge and my vengeance over to God. Asking him, do your honors in your perfect timing. Let's go back to the example of Bob and explain this. Because now y'all are really going to think, he is really whacked. See, on the day of of the son's kill, and, and, and through the process, Bob laid awake at night with his wife. Tears rolling down his eyes. Saying, honey, I've had thoughts of hiring a hitman. That if that dirty, rotten scoundrel ever gets out of jail, I'll have him killed. Now, at the end of the day, these were thoughts. He admitted to his wife that they were thoughts that he wrestled with, but he would never really execute those thoughts. But he wondered, like y'all wonder, how, as a Christian, could I have those thoughts? And there are some people that have done you wrong, and you've laid in bed at night, and you've thought, I should have said this, I should have done that, I wish this would happen. And, and their thoughts. And he was shocked when, when he found out that his desires were really not out of line. What? There is room for revenge. But it belongs to God, not us. See, the problem wasn't that Bob wanted to see his son's death avenged. The problem was if he was attempted and then acted upon that temptation, then we'd had a problem. Can can I just be real with you and share something? And, and, And only share it to scare the snot out of you. I I and Florida, we were part of a church that, I mean, it was bad. Bad, bad bad people. Not like y'all. Y'all are great people. But there was this one man that was spearheading a a, what's called a a vote of competency. I mean, this pastor, people were getting saved. The church was growing. But they didn't like his style and they didn't like his ways. And hopefully he'll get to come here and preach one day. His name's Pastor Mark Coffey. So this guy, I won't name him because he's still alive and he may be watching me today. But he spearheaded this vote of competency and got the whole church to do it. Oh, and he would talk bad to your face too. Tell you what for and what have you about how you're running the church. We kept our spirit right. We didn't keep tit for tat. We had prayer walks of, Lord, we're examining ourselves. Is there anything that we're doing that is unbiblical? Is there anything that we're doing that's harming this church because we're seeing growth? And we finally said, you know what? It's up to you, God. Within two weeks, he had a stroke and he couldn't talk. The men that were with him, you look at their life today. All of them are in a divorce situation. Two of them are alcoholics. And the other one is estranged from his family. Would God do that? Let me just tell you this. There is a place for revenge when people keep doing nasty stuff. And it's ungodly. And it's birthed from the pit of hell. And they don't want forgiveness. And they know they're wrong. And they keep doing it to one of the Lord's anointed. That's you too, not just me. Is that God's place and His perfect timing and His perfect way 
Yes, He does allow things to happen to people that try to ruin your life. But you've got to know when to say, God, it's up to you. I've done everything that I know to keep my spirit right. You don't believe me? Well, let's dive into the Apostle Paul. Because the same man who wrote eloquently in the Bible about forgiveness saw no inconsistency in his own prayer life where he said, God, you need to repay my enemy. Repay Alexander for the great harm that he was done. And in one passage, as Paul was turning Alexander over to Satan, in another passage he said, the Lord will repay. And watch what Paul says. He instructs, he says, do not take revenge, church. Do not take revenge, he says, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Thus saith the Lord. And here's the biggie. Let's talk about the trust issue real quick. I'll I'll still get you out where you can make it to the restaurant on time. Trust. Does it mean, pastor, I have to trust this person again? They've come to me. They've asked for forgiveness. There is a second chance possible there. Do I invite them over for dinner? Do I invite them over for the next party? Do I trust them again? Listen, usually the person that has offended you thinks so. Right? I know I've hurt you, but hey, can I come over and hang out? They think you ought to restore everything back to the way it was. But that's not the case because trust and relationship and forgiveness are not necessarily all intertwined and and related and tied together. See, what happens is is it's easy to forgive because I forgive you for the harm that you did to me. Okay? Because I know that everything doesn't have to be restored. Things were broken. Things cannot be repaired. So I'm comfortable with forgiving you because I know I shouldn't forget everything. I'm going to give you a second chance and watch your life to see if you're not going to hurt my family and me like that again. Are you with me? Okay? But here's the deal. It, just because I forgive somebody, it doesn't magically make that person trustworthy. Are you hearing me? It doesn't magically make them a better person. I forgive you because you hurt me. But see, baby, trust is earned. And in this second chance, you've got to earn that trust back. And you know what else? Is my friendship is a privilege. I'll either give it away or I, I won't. I don't have to give it to nobody. There is nowhere in the Bible that says I have to be friends with all of y'all. I got to love you. But I don't have to be best buddies with all of you. I'll love you through Jesus Christ. But there may be some of you I don't trust. So you know what? You ain't going to be my buddy. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that I say that says I have to. So friendship is a privilege. To have a deep, meaningful friendship with me that you know my pains and you know my hurts and you know my thoughts and you know what my family's been through, that's a privilege for you to enter into that. If I choose to let you in, I will. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to... We've peeled everything away. We understand trust. We understand forgiveness now. We understand nothing is restored completely. We understand there's still eternal consequences. I understand to forgive is, is, is my rite of passage as a Christian. But pastor, there's still some things 
that are hard for me. Even after all that you've said, I hear God's prompting through the Holy Spirit today. I've cleared out some weeds, but there's still resistance. Here's what your pastor does. Two things. I want to share them with you. They're not in your notes, and hopefully they will be helpful to you. Because every one of us in this walk with Christ, we know what we should do, but sometimes it's hard to do it. So here's what your pastor does. I have a prayer of permission. See, the greater the hurt in my life, the less that your pastor wants to move towards forgiveness. It it, it seems when I I let people who hurt me get away with it, it, it's hard to do. So I pray for a prayer of permission. And and, and what, what does that mean? See, when I try to pray, God, help me to forgive, it never works. How many of you have ever been there? I've been praying to forgive them, Pastor, but it, I just can't seem to do it. Then pray the prayer of permission. Say, God, I give you permission to change the way I feel about that person. To change the way I feel about the situation. Because then when he begins to change how I feel, I can really look at that person and go, I forgive them for they know not what they do. They're hurting so they hurt me. Oh, they called me all this and a dirt bag and all that. But really, you know what? That was what they are. They were all of that. They didn't flow biblically. And they're ignorant to the fact that they didn't. So now I, I thank you, God, that you've changed how I feel about them. And you change how I feel about the situation. So therefore, it's easy for me to forgive of the hurt that they've done to me. And and, and then, when when all of that is going on, when I pray the prayer of permission, it, it makes me face my hard heart. It makes me face my resistance. And once I begin to have a rapid shift of thinking, that forgiveness doesn't seem like a bad idea, but sometimes the second chance is hard. So what I do is a sin walk. A sin walk. I'll come in this sanctuary, I'll walk around, I'll walk the hallway, I'll walk the gym, I may walk around the church, and I will think of everything that I've done in my life, all the way down to the very first sin I ever did when it was steal the cookie out of the cookie jar. Mama said, don't get the cookies. And I ate every one of them. Blamed it on my brother. Not only was I a thief, but I was a liar. But I'll look at every single sin in my life. And it's a humbling experience. One that will bring tears to your eyes because of the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will send chills up and down your spine. But in the day when I pray the prayer of permission and I do a sin walk, it opens me up to give that person a second chance. So at the end of the day, I close with this. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's not just for the little things. It's for the bigger things too. And when we offer forgiveness to those who have absolutely no excuse. When we offer forgiveness of things that in our mind is unforgivable. We become more and more like our Father Jesus Christ. 
Because after all, He hung on a cross and He died for our sins that He never committed. He forgave people who should have probably never had the right to be forgiven. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And that's why probably to Jesus Christ, forgiveness is such a big deal. But in the parameters that I laid out for you, Forgiveness is really easy to do when you understand it biblically. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we come to you and we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for what you've taught us today. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would move. If you're in this house today and you've never asked forgiveness from God, have accepted Him into your life, and you would like to do that today to make Him the Savior of your life, Would you raise your hand in this room? Say, that's me, Pastor. I see that hand. Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? I just need forgiveness from God. Because I'm not right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm not right with God, Pastor. And I want Him to forgive me. Those of you that raised your hand, if you would pray pray this prayer with me, say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior because I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised to life. So I choose this day to make you the Savior of my life. Empower me from here on out to make you the Lord of my life. So I can follow you in all of my ways. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody give a big old hand clap to the Lord for those four that got right with God. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor, I raised my hand at the beginning. But now I think it might be a little bit easier to do. Would you lift up your hand saying... Now that I understand what true forgiveness is, this may be a bit easier. Amen. That was my prayer and my hope that God would make it easier for you to walk out of here and be set free for the unforgiveness that's in your heart. Would we all stand? Look, if you're truly struggling with something that even though what I taught today, you still got a wall and a block. And you're still at a point that you'd say, Pastor, how can I ever forgive. This is going to be a little bit different call. It's not for me to pray with you. It's for me to one-on-one counsel you real quick. So if that's you and you're still struggling with forgiveness, and maybe you're not. Maybe I did such a great job that whom the sun set free is free indeed. But if you're still struggling with forgiveness and you just need for me to answer some questions and talk, we're going to open up this altar as they begin to worship. If not, let me pray a prayer over you and you can be dismissed. But Father, in 